everybody, the con artists here. We're here to talk about all the shows we watched in spring 2023. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it's going to be so late beyond spring, but that's just because we've all had an exciting, dramatic summer, so we haven't had the chance to get together. It's getting harder and harder with four of us, isn't it, guys? Oh, yeah. Oh, it yeah. It sure is. Man. All right. Well, uh, the good thing is we're all here together. So there's me, Sue. There's Scott. Hello. Dan. Hey. And Brendan. Hello. Cool beans. All right, guys, we got a lot because, as I recall, spring was a pretty solid season. So better get oh, into yeah. it because I think this cast is going to be quite long. So who's going to start us off? I'll start us off um, with one of the strongest contenders of the season, Skip and Loafer. The show looked so cute. I'm really interested it's very in cute. your take on it. It was on my list and then my list got too bloated and it had to go. Mm-hmm. It's a... Uh... I guess it's sort of like a high school coming of age tale kind of thing. Uh, and also possibly the beginning of a slow burn romance. There's a small amount of romantic tension between the leads. Uh, the, the the sort of the emotional climax of the first core is more focused on the personal life of the male lead and... It's, uh, it's more like how you let regret shape the person that you become. Mm. Uh, due to him like basically struggling to handle his backstory. You've begun uh, to answer it, Brendan. I was I was going to ask you: Is this more of a rom com or more of like a romedy? I guess I'll call it. Um, the kind of like a, a honey and clover. Like there's some funny moments, but it's it's secretly got some dark. Not dark, but like, you know, harder stuff in the background, or what? where would you classify it? Uh, I'd say you're moving in the right direction with that one. Like, there are funny moments. Like, uh, one of my favorites is the female lead is following around one of the student government officials for them doing whatever their business is, and they get caught up and they miss a bus, and the, gov the, uh, the student government official is, like, devastated and... Within two seconds, the female lead has like uh, drawn her gaze down and found a cat and was like, hey, check this out. <laughs> Cats solve all problems. So the other girl is like, what are you doing? <laughs> but cats. They'll solve it. Always the best idea. Uh, but so many of the episodes have like little mini uh, messages in them. Like, like that one, which was, you know, you can't overschedule your life. Uh, like the the one girl was doing. That's cute. So it's kind oh, of got it's it's got its greater arc, but the individual episodes provide sort of their own little life lessons, I guess. Yeah, a lot of them do. Uh, and all the characters are so well put together. Uh, probably because they all have their own like distinct insecurities, which really helps add to their characterization. I think. In fact, I was talking about this with another friend of mine, and offhand, I just sort of put together the sentence, it has the most important aspect of any story, the capacity of the characters for self-loathing. <laughs> oh, that's a good sentence. Which, that is a which, very again, good sentence, yeah. <laughs> which, which, again, like ends up factoring into the sort of like main arc of this set more than I was expecting it to, but I've also sort of started noticing that more in other media that I've been looking at, and like why that's such a compelling... Uh, storytelling uh, tool. 
Yeah, and it's really tricky, right? There's like a balance between um, that capacity for self-loathing and then just like a loathsome character, right? Like that's a that's a pretty tricky difference. I haven't seen literally any of it, but there's that. Uh, you guys are gonna have to have the Musho Renkin or something show that is really well animated, but it has just this really gross main character and it's been a lot of controversy lately, I guess, with the author's view on slavery among Whoa. other things. But this is one of those isekai. Yeah, it's one of those isekai. That shows. would explain it. Yeah. I don't think I've actually know which one you're talking about specifically because it's not like Shield Hero, but Yeah, I know the title, but like I have no frame of reference for the show or the work itself. Yeah, I just, it, it, it's got a very loathsome main character and everyone, you know, is of this opinion. I, either way, it, like, oh, this is a character that's like terrible and you're just watching him like deal with the world around him. Or this is a character that's terrible. And there's no redeemable qualities. Why would you write someone this way? So I think there's a, there's that subtle tipping point where it's just like, no, you're just writing a terrible person. That doesn't count. Like, that's not depth. <laughs> people can be, you know, people can do bad things or be mean to themselves and still be compelling to watch. There's just a point where you get out of that. But uh, it sounds like Skip and Loafer, at least, on a very, very different plane from uh, from that one, manages to square that circle a little bit better. Yeah, because you have a few of the characters who are like, hey, I'm around these other people in this prestigious school, and they're all so much, you know, cooler and uh you know hotter and more capable than i am but like the, it goes out of its way to have the other characters try to build each other oh. up oh, that's nice. good of them yeah it's a yeah very very nice watch uh do recommend awesome like, i'm gonna have it, to go back and it, give it a try yeah does it conclude uh not at all okay <laughs> Like, there's still lots more to be done, I think. Or, like, way more places for the characters to go. Like I said, there seems to be the beginnings of, like, romantic tension between the characters. But it's, uh, uh, the it's slowest, a long road ahead. The slowest of burns. Very good. The sl- <laughs> what else we got? All right, cool. I'll take over with um, pretty hotly anticipated Ancient Magus Bride Season 2. So... This is a really tough season for me to kind of give my opinion on because it it is like one half of uh, a two-part core and it very much feels like it. So the latter half is coming in October. And uh, this, this really just feels like a setup in many ways for more things that uh. are going to happen, like a, a massive setup. So Chise uh, joins the just vaguely named college, which is literally said English every single time. They're like, oh, the college. And uh, it's just kind of like, I got a little nervous at first because it, it just felt like we were going to magic school or sorcery school. Um, Elias tags along in order to, uh, you know, sort of be a teacher there, but... Chaperone. Chaperone her a little bit. But really what it is, is it's, you know, Chise coming into contact with a lot of people her own age who are magic users most of them not sorcerers because the show differentiates those two and uh, a lot of these kids are of noble families so we've like expanded the world significantly you get to know that these these kids are from a lineage 
of magic users. They all have their own, you know, squabbles and discrepancies and prejudices and all that stuff. And they're interesting characters in their own right, but just, you know, in this 12-episode run, most of them aren't given the time of day outside of a character named Lucy Webster and another one named Philomela. I, it, it, I really liked this show, but I also... When I'm going to describe it, it's, it's you're going to be surprised I'm recommending to go with mm. it. Uh, it's very slow. I do want to start with the difficult part. It's very, very slow. And I think watching it episodically week to week made it worse. Like it really felt like nothing oh, no. was happening in every episode. And then you'd have one episode in there where like something would happen that moved the plot along. And towards the latter half, a lot of the plot happens with Lucy Webster and you're like uh, why why didn't we have more of this and then it just cuts at at 12 and you're like oh my gosh so i'm i'm happy that they're putting the latter half in october but just a couple of highlights like it looks it continues to look beautiful i really love the organic you know sort of english mythology that continues to permeate through the show uh, you know, things just appear and say just goes with it. There's really nobody questioning like, well, my gosh, what is that? Like, yes, okay, there's a demonic water horse here at our campsite. And in the same way uh, the first show presented it, these things are both beautiful as well as incredibly dangerous. So uh, I really love all of that. I like that Chisei is beginning to explore her relationship with Elias. Like, I, I think the first season was really like her being bought and her being kind of walked through her trauma and this season is a lot more of her coming into her own like she questions Elias a little bit more they explore like what it means to be I don't even like engaged almost in language mm. like what does this really mean because Elias isn't human right he doesn't really understand the concept of calling her his bride but instead of doing it in like a creepy sort of gross way that there was a little undercurrent of that in the first season. This is more like Elias having to question that. He's like, why did I use that word in particular? What does this word mean to me? Like, you know, kind of bending language around their relationship, which I thought was really mature and really nice. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really liked that. I mean, I like the characters we're introduced to. I, I like the world we're in. And I am very intrigued as to where it's going. So... You know, I do recommend it. I also like that, like, for the most part, everyone is really trying to support Chisei. She's a very different protagonist. You know, she, it's sometimes tough to watch her because she hesitates a lot. She's not like a typical shonen protagonist who's like, I choose this way, no matter what. Or a shoujo protagonist that's like, I'm going to choose this way, even though, you know, I know the audience is screaming that this is not the right choice. She'll like make <laughs> a choice and then think about it. Or make a choice and then kind of regret it. Or make a choice and have empathy for the other side. Like, she really does feel much more human, much more nuanced. And there's a subtlety to her character. So anyway, I really like it. You know, I think if you were on the, the Magus Bride train, uh, it's, it's really good. And look forward to the other half in October. I also highly recommend, if you haven't seen the first season in a while, go back and rewatch the first season. I didn't do that. So certain characters were reappearing, and I was like, oh, shoot, who are <laughs> oh, you man. again? Who is this guy? <laughs> and the cast of characters sort of is quite large. The so. there, there is an OVA in the middle that came out in, ex in an extremely like long format. It like There were like a couple of episodes that dropped on a fairly regular basis, and then there was like 
uh, several months between that and the second part of it. It was it was very aggravating, but it it does set up a few things, but I don't think it's as strictly necessary. Honestly, I would say you're probably better served rewatching the first season or just doing a quick recap of that. But it wouldn't be a bad thing to show just because it does have a few interesting moments in and of itself, but it's relatively self-contained, I, if I remember correctly. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I'd forgotten about those. Was it just one? There was two OVAs, right? They dropped? There, uh, Well, there's like the prequel OVA, but that's from a while back. This is, I think, just one self-contained story that takes place sort of in between the two seasons. But again, I am... I'm not 100% up on everything, so I could be wrong. Is this second one the one where they're like reading a storybook kind of? Like the OVA you're talking no, about? No, the one I'm talking about has the, is it involves the wild hunt. Oh, interesting. I wonder which one the storybook OVA is. Shoot. Yeah, no, the the, the structure of this whole property is a little bit wonky. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going yeah. on, little bits and pieces. Generally, though, I, I'd, I'd echo pretty much everything that Sue already said. You know, show still looks great. I like how they're doing, like, I like my magic weird and how there's rules, but the rules themselves are not like, you know, it's not a complete science. It's, you know, people doing their best with the information they've got and, you know, negotiating with these oftentimes very alien creatures uh, in the best way they can. And I do also agree that it really does feel very much like the setup for a back half that hopefully will be more, um, a little more focused and a little bit more, you know, quick, uh, quickly paced. Uh, I really, I think that how they ended it felt really good, but it kind of comes not out of nowhere, but it, it's it sort of as Kasu describes, you, you have these long stretches of very little happening. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, we got a plot beat that needs to happen. And that's how the last part of this uh, arc feels. So it's just like, well, I guess, okay, we're moving forward now, but um, it would have been nice to, build up some of that tension a little bit more smoothly, I suppose. But, you know, that complaint aside, I still think that if you enjoyed the first season, you'll probably get a lot out of this one. They do more with the magic school setting than I was expecting. And while I still have some, you know, quibbles about Chisei's characterization, I think that they do a lot to try and round her out and make her a much more compelling and interesting character this time around, as opposed to someone who just gets batted around by the plot all the time. Yeah, no, yeah, all good. valid points. One last thing I, I just thought of that I, I want to mention. I do really like that the show is challenging Chise's um, self-sacrificial personality. There's a, a scene that I found was really powerful wherein she's walking with this guy. He's a, he's a postman. He's a centaur. And, uh, you know, she's... Obviously, her body was quite damaged after the first season, right? She has, like, Cartophilius's I and one of her arms is the dragon curse. And uh, he says something that basically amounts to like, hey, I'm not your parent or anything. Like, I don't really like care about you. You can see me as a sorcerer and like you acknowledge me because I'm, I'm of the fae. But just to throw it out there, like if you're going to keep throwing yourself in front of danger, eventually like you're going to die. Or someone's not going to come save you. Like, be aware this isn't, like, a fairy tale where, like, if you just keep throwing yourself in front of the problem, it's going to get solved. And I thought that was, like, really powerful from a work of fiction because I think 
with shows like this, that's usually the solution to stuff, right? And this coming from me, who's like a huge fan of Magical Girl, like you throw yourself in front of the problem and like love and friendship and like magical transformations, like turn the enemy or whatever. <laughs> so I, I love that stuff, you know, that's really ingrained into my anime DNA. But I also really like that this show is, is very grounded in the fact that like, hey, you all by yourself throwing yourself in front of the bus is not going to like solve all of the problems. So start thinking a little more critically, start understanding that people around you are affected by your choices mm-hmm. and there make are consequences choices. for your actions. Right. right. Yeah, no, all in all good, a, a good entry into the season though. I would say it's still, you know, if it, it improves on some things, has some like niggling little bits that don't, quite gel together but once the second half of it is out i feel like we'll be able to more accurately judge it indeed but yeah recommended what do we got next so i watched a weird show called the the dangers in my heart which uh it's it's about a bunch of middle schoolers and the show starts out with this kid who's thinks he's a huge edgelord uh and as the show goes on you sort of realize that that's not as much the case as he thought it is really quick brendan because i've never watched any of that stuff in that genre is is that the same as chinibio uh not exactly chinibio is like delusions from middle school right like i think i'm my D character yeah okay all right yeah, so, like, there's... It, it approaches that in the beginning, but he, he mellows out uh, a couple of episodes in, and it sorts it's sort of settles into being an incredibly awkward rom-com. <laughs> which, I mean, it kind of relies a lot on, hey, you remember being, like, um, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, and you weren't very good at whatever is going on here either, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's another one of those shows where your brain makes that noise to try and drive out the memory because otherwise you would cringe <laughs> so hard you'd collapse into yourself like a singularity. It, yeah, I don't know if it gets it that bad exactly, but it it, uh, it moves in that direction a lot. And the whole thing is sort of like this, uh, this guy and this girl that are sort of moving around each other trying to figure out what like a what they want and b like what the other person wants and uh and if that is indeed any kind of weird like romantic relationship like what other people are going to do about that so it sounds like this one probably falls a little bit more on the comedy end of the spectrum as opposed to skip and loafer uh yeah yeah like skip and loafer is like uh, a lot of drama and comedy and this one like there's some drama, but it's it's mostly like a comedic take on it. But yeah, more of like a a uh, conventional rom com, I suppose. So like, do like the people around the main character like make him realize he needs to be less of an edge lord, Brendan, or like does he come to that realization himself, wanting to know more about this girl? Like, what's the crux of the show's movement? It's mostly the latter. Uh, okay. he's trying to like, so in the, in the very beginning, like one of the first things that happens is he's like, I want to kill this girl. Okay. Always the best way to start. Right. 
Um, and like as time goes on and he has occasional interactions with her, like they both sort of sit in the library between classes. Uh, it's like he sort of comes to the conclusion that that's not really what he wants to do. Uh, but like he's just drawn to her and you know when he thought he was like an edgelord that seems like the most edgelord thing to do right i guess i think that's the most like intense cry for psychiatric help but okay (laughs) it's a little hard to get into (laughs) i'll give it that did you end up enjoying it uh on balance yes actually Let's see. It has interesting sound design too. Actually, like there's a lot of weird instrumentation. It's not necessarily music per se, but like, uh, oh shoot! It reminds me of the game Gris a little bit, or at least the beginning of it when there wasn't a whole lot of music. So is it sort of like reflecting the character's state of mind, uh, or something along those lines? Well, I don't know if I would go that far, or at least not obvious enough for me to pick up on it. Uh, it's just a weird, like, a minimalist soundtrack. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, but eventually you get to the point where the, the two are, like, interacting on a more regular basis, and it's just sort of, like, trying to navigate one embarrassing moment to the next. Hmm. In the midst of all of your classmates and or family. It does sound pretty funny. An interesting look at the more awkward and, you know, maybe unsettling aspects of being a young teenager. Yeah. Does it conclude, Brendan? Um, not exactly, no. <laughs> there, I mean, it's only a dozen episodes, right? Uh, yeah. But gosh, like, everything is based on a manga these days, so... I feel like there's so many manga that have so much source material that we're not going to get a lot of complete stories in single seasons. Hmm, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I can just never tell with those, like, rom-coms in particular, because they really have not as good of a shelf life, I feel like, as other types of shows. So sometimes they can, you know, close the whole thing pretty quick, but... Yeah, there was one a couple of seasons ago that did that, but uh, it's still on my to-watch list. Oh, don't worry. I think we'll be talking about a little bit of that later on. Oh. Suspense. All right, cool. So, recommended. It sounds like, yeah? Did I yeah, miss that part? Yeah, like, yes? uh, okay. it's, it's not a bad show. Like, you make it through the first, like, two episodes, and it should be smoother sailing at that point. Good stuff. Who's next? Sure, I'll pick it up from there. So I watched uh, the new Konosuba season. This one would translate as an explosion on this wonderful world. And as that would imply, it is the backstory of everyone's favorite character, Megaman, uh, who's like the mage that can only cast the one big explosion spell per day. Uh, You also get to learn more about her sort of self-professed rival union, and that was a lot of fun as well. Uh, I did like it a lot. The show looks really good. Uh, they put, you know, clearly quite a bit of resources into it. And, um, obviously the, the explosion magic going off is where they put the most and it looks really, really good. Uh, the show's a lot of fun. There's lots of, you know, good comedy, which you've come to expect from this show. If you've been watching it, uh, they've sort of given you bits and pieces before, particularly in the movie, but 
you get to see lots of the crimson demon like culture because like you know they starts off with her back when she's in like school basically and it is as hilarious as always an entire race of people devoted to being chunibyo as hard as possible uh and it's just amazing all the time <laughs> you know except they actually have the like overwhelming magical power to back it up uh so like you know is the slightest thing you know, attacking them, they'll make a big deal out of it and then just like blow it away so hard half the village explodes. But like, you know, that's just that's just a Tuesday. <laughs> so they're they're a lot of fun. Um it is weirdly and surprisingly heartfelt at times. Like they do find time to have like legitimate emotional character moments. Uh which it was nice if unexpected. Uh what else? There are, I mean something to say against it, I guess. There, so as I mentioned, she was starting off in school and they do introduce like a cast of fellow schoolmates uh, and they're all fun people like they've all got their little quirks or whatever, but we really don't like spend that much time with them. Like, so basically the show takes place between, I guess, you know, a time they pick when she sort of starts off wanting to be an adventurer and, you know, the closing scene of the show is she joins the main party from the main show. So it kind of felt like they were on a schedule. You know, like, if this show was probably on its own, maybe the whole thing would have been the school experience. But halfway through, they're like, all right, she needs to go somewhere else now because she's not going to make it to the place on time otherwise. Uh, so it does feel like maybe they don't get as much time with these other characters as you could have. Got to get that main plot in motion. Right. Like, you know, it's it's the backstory. They decided to have it end right at the right at the beginning. So they got to get places. Uh, the other thing was, so they've got this... Uh, there's a plot line where she's in the, I forget what the city is called, but it's where the Axis cult is headquartered. Uh, people who've watched the show knows, knows who that is. And they have the head of this cult and he's kind of like this skeevy guy who has a bunch of like weird ideas about how to acquire more, more followers. And while it's funny, like, I feel like they sort of drag that part out too long. Like it sort of wears out its welcome. And you're like, man, I just kind of wish we could have spent more time with the first cast of characters rather than this guy. Uh, it is, I mean, it is funny in that it sets up some of the stuff that you've already seen in the regular show. And like, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to see how the gag got set up in the first place. Uh, but other than those two quibbles, uh, I would say fun show. If you've been enjoying Konosuba, you know, watch this one. It's worth your time. Uh, if you haven't seen Konosuba, you're probably not going to get quite as much out of it. So it would be recommended to watch the regular show first. And then come see this, mm -hmm. but overall, like recommended. Go ahead. Yeah, it slots in better as a uh, as a post watch prequel than as a pre watch. Yeah, like knowing who these characters are, and in particular these jokes that I mentioned that like are being set up now. Like it almost makes more sense in this order, like where you saw the joke and then you like saw how the setup happens. It's like a reverse brick joke. Yeah. Okay. Which I don't know that type of joke, but I'll take your word for uh, it. One where the one where the punchline comes way, way later in the timeline than you might expect. Ah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, so yes, recommended uh, to watch. Who else has something? So I watched more slow burn rom com. What? Impossible. <laughs> oh, we're not done. Brendan, you're on a roll here. There's a pattern. <laughs> there I were so it. many this season. <laughs> Uh, I watched, uh, and I th think someone else watched Insomniacs After School. 
Me too. The most chaste show about sleeping together. <laughs> it's true, yes. Because it's literally sleeping. <laughs> well, that sounds nice and very peaceful. You would think that. I would. Right. The reasons for that uh, are, like, eventually touched on in the show. Yeah, Brendan, I'm curious about your opinion on this. I think people were a little bit divisive on this show because some people thought it was a bit of a bait and switch. So the way it's sold is that these two characters uh, have insomnia and they sneak into the school observatory in order to be able to take a nap. And then they both like find each other there and it's, it's their story of, you know, becoming friends and dealing with this condition. So just from the premise alone, you're sold on this idea that it's about these two characters dealing with this, this physiological problem that they have. But I am, I'm just going to spoil it. Uh, it's not a purely physiological problem. It's majority of it's psychological in nature. The reason why they have insomnia. So I think if you were in it because you have insomnia or you know someone with insomnia and you, you sort of wanted that kind of bonding with the characters, that's not there. And uh, the show is definitely not just about running around in the nightlife. That's the other part that's a little bit bait and switchy. The first two episodes, I think, Brendan, correct me if you remember better, are, are about them like being up too late, obviously, and then like running around town uh, doing stuff at night. So then you might think to yourself like, oh, it's going to kind of be about exploring the nightlife of of Japan or this small town or something. It's also not about that. <laughs> so <laughs> hmm. it's it's it pivots into uh, being about them being in the astronomy club and having to resurrect the astronomy club and a lot of people around them but yeah I'll, I'll, I'll let brendan take back over but i really liked it so i'll jump in later oh as someone who doesn't suffer from insomnia uh i enjoy every minute of it the um <laughs> i just say that because i'm on a weird work schedule um the uh, i don't know i didn't i didn't pick up on any of that i know it's around enough forums that i was more privy to it being a divisive show aha uh -huh. interesting I think a lot oh. of people dropped it fairly early on when they didn't feel like they were getting what they expected out of it. Interesting. As someone who didn't really know what to expect, I guess, or even after the first two episodes, like after, after they had performed the bait and then switched over, I was still invested. I liked the characters. Uh, very, very like nice, soft character design. I think the whole, the whole cast very chill show. They got the lo-fi beats as the background music. Uh, well, that sounds nice. Yeah, it was... You know, they could have made a little bit more progress with them like dealing with the psychological issues that led to their insomnia, but perhaps there's, again, more to the source material where that's going. This one at least like ended on more of an emotional climax than I remember Dangerous did. Yeah, I agree with all that. It was uh, it was a really nice show. I mean, I think the 
The characters are, are good. The people around them are really good and very supportive. So that was nice. Uh, they're, it, there's a surprising... Except for the older sister. You know, even the older sister, I felt like, had her own subtle way of being supportive. There, it, it was subtle. You have to... Okay, yeah, it's she like wasn't, a blink and you'll miss it. Yeah, she wasn't a, uh, a completely malevolent presence. She just had... Yeah, she has her moments. Yeah. Yeah, and she has like one pivotal character trait, which I, I think is a blink or you'll miss it type of thing. But, you know, everyone around... Th- there was a surprising lack of, of drama, I think is what I'll say. Like, pretty much everybody around the characters like wants good things for them and supports Aww. them. In some way, shape, or form, which, you know, was very different. I, I don't know that there was any character that I could point to and be like, yeah, you were an antagonist. And it's kind of what you, you know, it circumvents your expectations. Like the the lead character, Ganta, he, you know, he has issues with his dad. I'll just go with that. And then uh, when he finally, it looks, or at least it looks like he has issues with his dad. And you think, oh, this is going to be easy. Like, he just needs to resolve his his uh, conflict with his dad. And that's really not the case at all. Like, at one point, you his dad is, is being interviewed for something, and he's a really nice guy. So, you know, there's that subtle, like, human disconnect they have, but it's not, you know, antagonistic in any way, shape, or form. So... Yeah, I agree with everything Brendan said. The show is very pleasant. The music's very pleasant. It looks nice. Um, I guess if you're into stargazing, there are some little tidbits for you. There's an entire episode where they talk about camera settings and how to shoot like long exposure shots in order to get pictures of the stars. In my personal opinion, it really could have gone a little deeper with that because the show does get very heavy into like we need to resurrect the astronomy club and do stuff for it but it never like sticks its feet too too deep to get you really invested in that part Mm. of the story so i think it needed more of that to tell you the truth to like you know put its put its claws in a little deeper but that's that's okay you know it was a really a minor quibble overall i i liked it a lot i like i would totally want to watch more of it i am concerned (laughs) about one of the characters just you know there might be a tragedy on the horizon but i think these characters once again they just feel like real people struggling with real things and having to come to terms with this physiological reaction they're having to psychological problems and working through that with a bunch of other supportive people around them yeah, you can't say something like "leave some trace of me behind" and not like have that come off as a immediate death leg. Yeah, it was a little frightening. I'm, I have concerns, definitely. But yeah, the show's nice for for right now. The show is nice. The show is soft, and um, you know, definitely recommended. I think just go in understanding what you're going to get out of it. So I watched another show this season. Is it another slumber? Is it also a rom-com? This one wasn't. Wait, Uh what? It was the the only one of the like eight shows I watched that isn't a slow burn rom-com in some capacity. Oh, good thing we have it in the middle here. Good thing. Uh, It is, the English title is Otaku Elf, which I think does the show a massive disservice. 
uh, mm. because the, it, the Japanese title is Edo Mai Elf, uh, which presuming to mean Edo era, as in a time period in Japan that took place several hundred years ago. Or so a few like, hundred. is he stuck back then, or is he like a uh, otaku for things from that time period? It, uh, the, all the characters are women. Oh. Um, Her then. Yes, the elf was summoned into this world from somewhere else back during the Sengoku era, actually. Uh, and is still here. Is, is, is enshrined in a little neighborhood in the outskirts of Tokyo. And is like just being an enshrined deity who is, uh, you know, collecting money from their you know local parishioners or whatever and then spending it on otaku nonsense does she actually have any does she actually have any ability to like grant favors or like any divine uh or i guess any divine power herself or is it just like this is a business arrangement for her i mean it's basically the latter she has the ability to talk to spirits and there's like at least one spirit that sort of serves as a messenger between her and her miko who is the other principal character? Uh, but that's really the, as the much as much of like magic as we see ever actually happen. Yeah. And the show is really like about the relationship between the elf and the Miko, who is uh, trying <laughs> to make sure that her enshrined deity elf like actually does the few things that are expected of her. <laughs> And a lot of the show is like a weird uh, history lesson because whatever circumstances are going on, the it's very common for the elf uh, Elda, I want to say her name is, to like recollect you know how things were done 400 years ago, and you know just like pull that up as a piece of conversation and be like, huh, yeah, you know, that was a an in, it's been an interesting ride from then until now in terms of how technology and other things have advanced. Uh, let's see. Perhaps one of the weird aspects of the show is that there are actually two other elves that were summoned in by different clans during the same period. Uh, the one in Osaka is the one that feels like she's the most out of place because her like weird character trait is that she's very, very childish despite being one year older than, uh, than Elda. And it's it's weird to like a lot of the a lot of the meta show feels like it's trying to figure out the psychology of the immortals. Huh. That's All not right. where I expected you to go for a show this quirky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like I, don't, I find myself thinking like, how is this character still this way? Is it just like what they could get away with? Is this the kind of thing that they retreat to as a like coping mechanism? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, there's another one from a region in the north who has, like, a gambling problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, and, and one of the other weird things about them is, even though we've had uh, pretty decent communication technology for the past, say, 100 years, like they haven't really talked to each other a whole lot. And it strikes me that that would be the first thing you would want to do as an immortal in a land of people that aren't is like try to actually uh talk to people like on your own time scale 
So I don't think it's on their to-do list, but you know how things get when you put them off for too long. An episode will pop up. It's like, hey, you know, uh, what's her name is coming to visit from however many hundreds of miles away. And it's like, man, I haven't seen them in like 200 years. And you're like, really? Like, I understand that you're both sort of enshrined, uh, which probably means you don't get out a whole lot. But how many hundreds of years? Nobody, nobody's, <laughs> brought, nobody's bothered to bring you a history book in this whole time or like a TV Oh, no, and Elda definitely has TV. Yeah. It's how she plays video games. And watches anime. I was going to say, is she, is, she a, is she like an otaku for us? Because there's usually like a particular niche interest, whether it's a game or a show or like a genre. Is she like specific or is she just more of a, a general uh, anime and video game nerd? She's, there's two things that come up on a regular basis. One is like uh, frog tanks which is a, a property made up, like, as far as I can tell, of a whole cloth for this show, where it's, like, frog-themed, uh, like, war machines. Huh. Which hmm. is very strange. A play on Battletoads, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I, I like that. Unclear. I'm disappointed. Um, I was desperately hoping that they would have paid for the rights to, like, Record of Lotus War just a little bit. And she's, like, secretly a huge fan of Record of Lotus War because there's <laughs> Deedlet, like, because Deedlet's in there. And she's like, That would be hilarious. It's another elf like me. You know what they did pay for the rights for? Red Bull. What? Huh. Like, the energy drink shows up on a regular basis. I mean, I guess if you have an otaku, right? Uh... So you gotta stay up and watch the... You know, late night anime. I'm sure that uh, both, you know, Doritos and Mountain Dew are really sad they missed out. <laughs> but you know what they didn't pay for the rights for? Fanta. <laughs> because there's <laughs> bottles of Fanta sitting around. <laughs> you you could have been here, Fanta. No, you aren't, though. <laughs> sad. <laughs> uh, now, does, it, does it integrate well, or is it, like, as wildly out of place as, uh, God, what was that show? Like, the... Code Geass with Pizza Hut. Uh, yeah, that one or Arby's oh in um um oh what's oh her my name? God. Allison Zeroku. Right, that one. Uh I was also thinking of um I can't remember the name of the darn show now. No, that wasn't Arby's, it was Carl's Jr. Uh Carl's Jr., you're right. They had the Carl's Jr. So I guess how out of place is it, I guess? Uh not terribly. Okay, that's good. It's a little bit weird, but it's not jarring or anything. I can't tell if you recommend this. Like, this sounds a little more offbeat than any... Obviously, it's not the, a rom-com, but I feel like this could go bad real quick. Uh, I I don't think that it did. Like, again, like, the the weirdest part is the, uh, the elf from Osaka, but uh, a lot of the rest of it is just cool little, you know, vignettes. Um, except for about two-thirds of the way through the show when they just hit you with an emotional haymaker. Oh. Surprise. Uh, which I suppose I'll, I'll spoil now just because I want to tell it to you guys. The, um... One of the elves has come to visit and, the like, that elf's Miko is also here. And at one point the two elves go off to look, go look for something and the two Mikos are, you know, left sort of by themselves for a moment. And one of them, the, the one from up north asks... The, uh, the main character no matter what happens we're going to be gone before they are uh, are there ever times that you think that we shouldn't be friends with them so that they won't be upset to which the answer is I have thought that but 
I'm sure that can't be right. And that, uh, that attitude like, moment. Yeah. permeates the whole show, I think. Hmm. Again, very heavy for where I thought this, like, you know, show kind of yeah, was going. Yeah, just like one 30-second scene, like, <laughs> which is, uh, th- there's a hint of it a couple of episodes prior, uh, where it doesn't get as overt as all that. But uh, I was I was very satisfied with the uh, the emotional connections that was being built up here, in addition to the, the weird otaku jokes and the... Uh, like the interesting history lessons. Oh, there's one. There's one thing I have to call out though. Is that uh, there's there's a a bit where she's also a knockoff Gundam collector. Like, <laughs> you know, they didn't get the rights to talk about you know actual Gundam, so they just call it like Gongam or something like that. Of course. And at some point, they actually the uh, the elf is is bringing the Miko in to watch the original show, uh, and they have the widescreen TV lit up entirely. And my immediate thought was that should have been pillar box. <laughs> There's no way original Gongam was widescreen. <laughs> Good call. You should write them. <laughs> well, there's also a calendar in the back of the room that occasionally has the wrong number of days in it, uh, which <laughs> just nitpicking, nitpicking. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do recommend like, it's uh, it's a weird little show, but I, I liked it quite a lot. Good, nice. Good stuff. All right, let's like hard left turn, the hardest you could imagine. Oh boy. Uh, with with Aono Orchestra. So um, I think I've talked about it in the past, like my, my husband's a musician. So whenever there's a music show, we tend to at least attempt to watch it. So uh, this one's really solid. It's about this character named Hajime. He uh, was a a prodigy violinist as a child, and his father was a world-famous violinist. And uh, one fine day, his father just walks out on their family, and uh, Hajime becomes really famous in middle school because all the reporters are just like, oh, hey, you're the kid of that famous... Uh, violinist who totally ditched you and your mom can you like do an interview for us so he's a very angry middle schooler and when we first uh, meet him we're just dropped in in media res he's he's given up the violin and we're with him in middle school and uh, he's instructed to teach a girl named what's her name now i can't remember it's like akira or something like that akine there it is so He's instructed to teach this girl named Akine, who's like a brand new violinist. She's terrible. And he's just like, oh my gosh, you're the worst. But I guess I'll teach you or something in order to, you know, help you along. And uh, rekindles his his love for the violin as he moves into high school. The show's really odd. Um, I think it most music shows are structured either like sound euphonium, where it's a lot of drama mixed in with students being a part of of a band or it's uh like a sports show where someone's learning an instrument for the first time meets an arch rival and then you know tries to become better at their instrument this show has like all the elements you would think make up a sports show and then it's just none of that 
all the time. <laughs> like, it feeds you that, and you're like, all right, here it is. Like, he has an arch rival. Hajime meets an arch rival. Nope. I mean, they, they do push each other to be better, but it's certainly not like, this is my arch rival for the whole show. And my whole goal is is to defeat him. The show is really about all of these characters dealing with various types of trauma and securities and difficulty through music. So uh, the violin is their way of working through whatever that difficulty is. The show is a two-core show, and what's fascinating about it is that first of all it looks like a show from the 90s like it has that uh primary color palette and character design that you would expect out of a uh out of a 90s show and Hajime is so depressed and anti-violin in the beginning and Akine looks so much like Asuka that my husband was like, oh, this show is called, this show, let's dub this show like Aoi no E-Violinium because it reminded him so much of like the intro to, to Eva. But yeah, that, that aside, um, where am I going with this? Really, you know, I think the show does a good job of having these characters work through those different things. It introduces you to arch rivals, but they aren't really arch rivals. They're just people there to push you farther. It's really about the drama these characters are dealing with and how they deal with it by being in this orchestra and having to like stretch themselves to be better people. But yeah, the show does not have the budget to sustain its double core. Oh no. Yeah, that's... I'd lost my train, but we're back now. The it, It's so funny to see... The characters like getting ready to play the instrument, and then the show rapidly cuts into CG characters, and like not good CG characters, like oh, no. like budget CG characters. And I'm like, guys, you know, suddenly I've, other side picnic. Yeah, like I've seen you know the advancements in say like idol shows when they have to break into the idol number, and and these these rotoscope sequences with CG are just getting more and more advanced. Like this is not that. These are all these characters moving like horribly robotically. And I will say it really does take you out of the drama of it because they play, you know, real pieces of music and they're having this moment where they're staring at this character or they're, you know, internally monologuing and they're like, oh, what did the author or the composer of this piece feel at this moment? Or like, oh my goodness, like Senpai is so incredible and can like translate this music beautifully. But you as the viewer are just watching this terrible CG character robotically move uh, the violin or the cello, and you're like, oh dear. <laughs> like, yeah, you got like, pret- to pretend you're the Chuck E. Cheeses watching the watching the animatronics. Yeah, exactly. You're just like, okay, I think I'm. I just gotta close my eyes and like pretend, you know, it's all working out. But where's Kyo Annie when you need it with that sound euphonium animation? Anyway, uh, the show is good. I think the downsides of it are that it picks up and drops things like really quickly. And then kind of leaves them or just picks them up again and puts them back down. The best example being there's Akine's best friend's name is Hana. She gets like two solid episodes all about how she was like very violently bullied in middle school. She actually transferred schools. Like when you first meet Akine, she practices the violin in the nurse's office. uh, And because she's being bullied and the story wraps itself around all the way because she stood up to Hana's bullies and then 
entered, you know, became the victim herself. Hana transferred schools and then they come back together for high school. And it's them having to like reconcile with all of that. And like, I thought the show was going to have something to say about bullying. And it really just left you in this funky space of like, if you see someone being bullied and you step in to help them, be fully aware that you might become the victim of bullying too. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Kids are cruel. And that's the law of the jungle. And on the one hand, I know Japan has a massive problem with bullying, and that's probably the the truth. On the other hand, I was almost like, it kind of feels like as a work of fiction, it's your job to like help a little bit. So it felt like this odd space to play in. But like mm. that gets picked up for two episodes. It looks like it's going to be a really, really big deal. And like they kind of resolve it and then just put it down. Like it's not touched ever again. Uh, so, so things like that, like are people, are characters move in and out. There's a large cast of characters, many of whom don't get the time of day to breathe. Uh, also, the show gets very dramatic later on. We're talking soap opera dramatic. So Uh-oh. yeah, there's some, some soap opera. But anyway, uh, the show is good. I really like it. I think you just have to be able to deal with its low budget, which looks to be continuing in the latter half. So recommended if that sounds like something you're interested in and you know, you like shows about music. It's it's different and it doesn't play into a lot of stereotypes. So recommended. Very okay. cool. Uh, I guess I can... Sounds surprisingly intense. Oh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I can pick it up uh, with the next show. Uh, which is uh, my love story with Yamada-kun at level 999. Are we taking another turn now? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it was definitely the season for uh, slow burn rom-coms, wasn't it? Um, dang. <laughs> We're eating good tonight. But uh, yeah, so this one is uh, very, I guess in, in a lot of ways, it's a pretty traditional uh, rom-com. Um, with a slightly unique framing device. Basically, um, this uh, girl at the very beginning of the show gets dumped by her longtime boyfriend. Uh, they're both in college, I, th- I believe, and she is sort of taking solace in this MMO that they started playing together, but she's got really like complicated feelings about it because on the one hand, she really started to play it because she wanted them to have something that they could enjoy together. And, uh, she, but she's also like, you know, this reminds me of, you know, that particular tool. And, uh, she eventually beats a, another young guy who is very well known in this particular game and the two of them start forming a relationship as she sort of gets into the same guild as him and meets a lot of his friends, becomes friends with them, and starts to realize that she has, you know, feelings for him and is willing to let herself be in another relationship now that she's gotten some distance from that previous one because it's left her with a lot of uh, pent-up emotional trauma uh, worrying whether she's good enough, whether she's, you know, deserving of actually being with other people. It's, you know, it's, that's a very basic reading of it. Um, but while that may sound like it's a little bit on the heavy side, most of it is really just her and these other people hanging out, enjoying the game, enjoying events around the game and, uh, sort of opening up to each other, uh, over time. So it's a, it's a cute little show. It's, uh, you know, very lightweight, very, uh, 
very mild. Like there's emotional stuff in it, but it never it never really feels like it's going. It never really feels like it's getting out of hand or that it's getting like really dark and serious. Like I think the hardest is she gets sick at one point and needs to be taken to the hospital. But even then, it's like this is this is not a dire situation. This is just a person who you know let things get ahead of them and needed uh needed some help at the last minute. But too much uh, Red Bull. No, not enough. Not enough. Uh, I guess a combination of like dehydration and like sickness and not being able to like keep anything down. So she ended up like really weak and sick and basically just needed to get, uh, uh get taken into the urgent care for some fluids and rest. But, uh, luckily it all, I'll just out. be impressed that Dan had an answer to that question. And it wasn't like mysterious anime flu. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, right. this is, this is pretty, this is, it's a, it's a nasty, you know, it's a nasty, uh, flu or whatever, but it's nothing like, it's not, it's not the Japanese super fever, I guess. That's what I wanted. The Japanese super fever. Thank you. <laughs> I guess it might be a variation of that. I don't know. Um, but either way, uh, I enjoyed it. I like the fact that the game in this case is sort of just a lens through which people interact. And it's not like half of the show takes place within the game or the game is even really a particular focus. It's really just another way that these characters sort of bond and learn more about each other. And it sort of gives them an excuse for why all of these people get to know one another and interact both in person and separately because, you know, who some of the characters are is very different from who they play in the game, whether that's just in terms of appearance or in terms of their personalities. So it's uh, it's a fun little uh, trick when you sort of figure out who everyone is and how they, uh, the personas they create for themselves. But again, it's never treated as like, oh, this is the, you know, this is the world for half of the show. It's just, no, this is just a hobby that all of these people share and it's a cute way to get them together and have them, you know, sort of have a common frame of reference. All right, so like the much more gentle version of like dot .hack. Yeah, I mean, not even like that. Like, you know, there's no virtual reality aspect to it. This is just like an old, this oh, is okay. like an, a slightly older, like kind of, I think, kind of slightly going out of fashion style of RPG um, that they all just happen to really enjoy. Like, it's not even the main game that the male protagonist uh, spends most of his time on. He's an FPS player. He's like a, he's an esports player. That's his, uh, that's his deal. Um, oh. But he plays this sort of as just a way to relax between uh, all of this other stuff. And he's got his own, like, issues when it comes to talking to people. He's very difficult. He's extremely blunt um, he has issues communicating particularly with women. And while it gets a little bit weird how they just, it, it's, it's, I feel like they describe it in a way that makes it sound sketchier than it is when it's really just like, no, this guy's just, you know, socially awkward may have some kind of, you know, he, he may not, uh, may have some kind of, uh, different uh way of looking at the world but at the end of the day he's still a very good person he just has a difficult time expressing himself and while he comes some sometimes comes across as being a bit of a jerk he never comes across as a genuine asshole yeah like he'll say weird stuff but like everything that he does is uh is helping out yeah that's a good way of putting it his actions always you know his actions are always like to the bent trying to do uh good things for other people when he can. So I feel like if there's one frustration I have, it's that sometimes the like loops that the, uh, the female protagonist finds herself in when it comes to 
how she's viewing situations can be very like what's the best way to put it it i understand that people sometimes get into these loops where they you know they don't uh feel like they're worthy of love or they just aren't able to um find their own self-worth and that can you know lead them to neglect things and that kind of starts the cycle over again because if i can't do even something this simple then you know how am i going to you know accomplish all these other things in my life and that can get like sometimes her spirals can become a little bit like okay slow down like you're 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 still in college like you're nearly you're nearly a full-blown adult and you have a lot of people looking out for you so take it down a notch but even those are few and far between. For the most part, it's really just, you know, them getting into fun or slightly wacky situations and, you know, how they deal with them from their both from their extremely different perspectives in life and a very, very slowly blossoming romance. So I will to to preempt uh, your question, Scott, tragically, it does not end because, you know, this is sort of only the establishment of their relationship. We don't get into them actually having, you know, at least from a romantic standpoint, a a full-on relationship or how that, you know, changes the trajectory of their lives. Uh, I see. Level 1000 happens yeah, exactly. later. All right. No, the new game plus. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> Which nice. honestly would be the best title for a follow-up, but I don't think they're going to have the... Uh, I don't have the wherewithal to do that, but we'll see. It's possible this continues. Um, it doesn't feel like it would need to because, you know, it still tells a fairly satisfying story, but only in the sense that if you're used to anime rom-coms and such, almost always end with the establishment of the relationship, it follows that formula. So if you're cool with that, you'll probably like it, but it can be a little frustrating because it doesn't actually go all the way. Or carry on mm. beyond that, I should say. Wasn't there a show called New Game that squandered the opportunity to have their second season be called New Game Plus? I think it did. I think it just had more exclamation Sad. points after it or something, like as was the style of the time. <laughs> as was the style of the time. Additional apostrophes. Yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. All right, well, I'll pick it up from there with uh, Heavenly Delusion. I got this, Scott. Uh, so Heavenly Delusion oh, you got this? is a rom-com about two <laughs> angels who work next door to each other with the quirkiest of personalities. Can they get past their quirkiness and reveal their love this fall on ABC? Heavenly Delusion. Oh. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. I have no way of knowing if that's an accurate description or not. <laughs> I mean, with the trend we're going, um, it, it very well could have been. Right? That could have been where it goes. Uh, however, it is not. Uh, it is like a post-apocalypse adventure show. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, with with a lot of twists. Um, so I'll say like, you know, up front, I would say this is to me one of those shows where you see it and you're like, wow, this is like the big one, right? Like show of the season for for quite a... Quite a distance Is that why it. Hulu got it instead of any of the places that people normally watch anime? Perhaps. Maybe they've got a really good sense of what to pick Except up. Except much fewer people. It's also like got the um, that's that's the a real shame too. Like, D money behind it. Oh yeah. Okay, that too. Yeah, Disney Hulu. Uh, and right, right. 
And if, if their money went into it, boy, it shows. Like, the show looks great. Uh, it has an amazing opening theme song, a really solid ending theme song. Uh, and the story's just top-notch. Uh, it's told in an unusual way. There's sort of, like, I don't know, two different stories going on that they sort of cut in between to tell you what's going on. Uh, like I said, there's this post-apocalypse adventure story with two characters kind of traveling through... Uh, sort of like the ruins of Japan. It's never entirely clear what the apocalypse was. Like, in fact, that's a matter of debate that comes up in the show because it's been long enough now. Uh, and there's also like a setting where there's uh, sort of kids at a highly regulated, managed underground school uh, that like, you know, and you don't, it doesn't really feel like the two stories are connected, but you start getting p bits and pieces as it goes on. Uh, but I was impressed. There's nothing formulaic. There's like, there's no tropes. Like this is all, I don't know, everything feels original and interesting. Uh, what did you think, Sue? Yeah, I'm in total agreement. This is, this is the show of the season. It, it looks gorgeous. It tells a really intense story. There's an interesting mystery you're following and trying to figure out not just how these two stories connect, but we have two of our lead characters on a quest that, uh, you're you're trying to understand like what it is they're really trying to do. The um, you know the show is very heartfelt at times. It's very hard to watch at times. It's it's mm, violent. Yeah. Um, it it does have you know um, sexual violence in it as well, but I think it it really like changes characters and and bends them and breaks them in powerful ways it's really strong storytelling so the highest praise for the show definitely yeah like these characters are, are they're all great characters you're really gonna like root for them uh by the end of the show uh totally agree there should probably be some trigger warnings about this show like it does not hold back uh, but it doesn't like wallow in it either uh they're ha they're handled as well as such things can be in a storytelling perspective I mean, let me put it this way, Dan, like, I'm very averse to sexual violence. Like, there's very rare instances I am like, okay, yeah, I understood why you put this in here and what it meant for the storytelling. And this was the first time I saw a show where I felt like there was character development in lieu of sexual assault. So... I mean, it's it's just top notch. Um, obviously not like because of that, but like the way it tells its story, the the risk it's willing to take, and just the fact that it doesn't spoon feed you anything. You have to be keeping track of what's going on and who you meet. It's not gonna tie all that up for you, but yeah, just, like you, it's a world that always keeps you sort of theorizing and guessing about what's going on. Like if you can watch it with someone else, like I found that was really cool because you'll have a lot of theories about where things fit into the overall story and what they mean. Uh, and there's there's a lot there and they do a really good job of not, like you said, not speeding fooding you. You don't get the whole story. Uh, and also the story doesn't conclude. Like it's very clearly there's going to be more. Uh, like it's just the first half of something. Maybe, I don't know if it's even the first half, but I, I could see them finishing up some kind of story. It felt like the first half. I'm with you. It felt like the first half and then... Because the stories really are beginning to fold over themselves. I would say if you're paying enough attention, the last episode 
is the fold over. Right. You should be able to understand how these stories are connecting. Right. Sounds good. Yeah, great. Definitely going to have to check that out later on. Yeah, great stuff. Certainly. Who's got something else? Uh, I've got another. Ooh. Is it a slow burn romance? Uh, it is. Yes. Yes. It's so slow. <laughs> Back on the train. Um, this one actually started in winter, but they had to take a, a season off due to the Rona. And then they picked it back up uh, for the second half of uh, spring here. And it's called Kuba Won't Let Me Be Invisible, which is a weird translation uh, that I won't try to do from the original Japanese title. But it, yeah, it's it's about uh, a guy and a girl, the guy of which has so little presence that he is functionally invisible to other people and even sometimes machines. Uh like, I think he has a hard time getting automatic doors to open for him. <laughs> a man so dull as to be imperceptible. Right. So that he actually has to, like, ask a question of the teacher every day or they'll think he was absent, maybe. Or, like, other students regard him as some sort of cryptid because they're like, <laughs> hey, I saw Shiraishi today. It's going to be a good day. <laughs> this sounds like the story of... Remember that kid from... Um... God, what was that anime? The one about Akikan? Or there's that character who was like presenceless and kept disappearing? Oh, he, yeah, he did. Like, like, is this his story? Uh, I hope not. I <laughs> curse you for making me remember Akikan. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, didn't, that show was atrocious, if I remember That's right. That's some shared uh, trauma right here. Um, but the, the main, the female lead, Kubo, uh, is like just doesn't have or isn't affected by whatever is going on there and she and in fact the rest of her family have no problems just like seeing him so she finds that fascinating enough that she tries to just be friends with him and occasionally tries to poke him out of his comfort zone to see what will happen uh, and it's very cute yeah Nice. Um, they'll occasionally devolve into a like really adorable chibi art style. Uh, let's see. The girl's interaction with her uh, with her older sister are also very wholesome. Uh, the the male lead has a much much younger brother who is super adorable. <laughs> And yeah, it's just a very cute show. Well, it sounds nice. <laughs> and like, even below the level of such things as uh, having a love confession be at the end of your show, this one, like, I, I believe the end of the show is uh, like one of the characters like realizing that she has a crush on the guy, <laughs> like having interacted with him so much in the past. Uh, it's like. So, very slow. Sounds cute and yes. fun. Another cute and fun show that I watched is um, mm -hmm. My Clueless First Friend. Oh, I kind of remember this. Oh, yeah. This I saw one a little was, bit of this. It was cute. This, yeah, it was delightful. Like, that kid, that, 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 the, the boy in this thing is like the platonic ideal of a BFF, at least for the first part of the show. 
He is he is just a real ball of sunshine. Uh, which is why his name is in fact Tayo. Oh yeah. Uh, his first name, or his given name, rather, Takata-kun. Uh, picture, if you will, a grade school in which a girl who looks different is, like, ostracized. By different, we mean she looks, she's very pale, long dark hair, like, over one eye. She she looks like the typical Japanese like ghost ring, girl that you like the ring girl from. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that... That that's the that's the angle they're going with, and because of that, she's kind of been bullied all through like grade school and into middle school, I guess. Well, or, well it's I guess still, it's still in grade all school. in grade school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? So all the other kids call her the Shinigami or the Grim Reaper, and will like avoid touching her or anything that she touches or something like that. And then so transfer student shows up. <laughs> He's like, "Hey, they call you the Shinigami. That's awesome. <laughs> How do I get that?" Can I be your friend? He's got Can bit, you curse me? He's got a bit of that Shinibio thing going on. So, like, he's, you know, he's like, he's like, oh, obviously, like, I want to hang out with a god of death. That sounds rad. It's like, oh, you know, this is the broom that she uses every day for cleaning or whatever. Like, if I hold it, like, is this like a cursed weapon? <laughs> that the Grim Reaper uses. This, this kid seems a little chuny, but like in a fun way. Yes. Exactly. It's like the most wholesome version of that. Dan, you said something that, I won't say it sounds ominous, but you said for the first half of the show, in the latter half of the show, is he not like the most solid BFF material? What happens? No, it's it's more how their relationship changes over the course of the show, or like their perception of their relationship changes. It's not that he stops being a good person, he's still... You know, he's still a cinnamon roll, but uh, yeah, things things go. I don't know, Brendan. You can maybe explain it better than I can. I don't know that I can. <laughs> no, basically, yeah, just like it. A lot of the show is how their relationship sort of evolves from just these, you know, these initial acquaintances and like close friends. Because as the title implies, this is the girl's first friendship, and her sort of navigating her feelings around that and his tendency to say things in a very blunt and affectionate way make it very awkward for her because it's like it's like you know he will he will very outright declare like oh i love this girl like you know in the we believe at least in the way that you would say it's like ah man i love this guy it's great you know we're best buds and she of course gets very flustered and embarrassed by this because you know not only has she never had any friends but she's never had anyone you know, talk about her in a way that can even be interpreted as romantic like this. So it is, you know, a combination of their ages, his way of talking, and her, you know, somewhat jaded experience. Because she's still a very sweet person and, you know, try and wants to like people, but she's also sort of accepted the fact that everyone else just makes fun of her and thinks that she's, you know, thinks she's creepy and weird. And she doesn't want him to get caught up in that like bullying sort of like what we were talking about earlier, but it doesn't really matter because again, the guy is so bullheadedly optimistic that he immediately turns any insult against her or him around and just flusters the people trying to bully them because he always interprets it in the most <laughs> generous possible way. That does sound very cute. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very cute show. Very easy watching, very, you know, 
a lot of the episodes are broken up into like small individual snippets that sort of build up towards one thing. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just very, very charming. Uh, let's see. I just want to make special mention of one of the side characters, the ponytail girl, Kasahara, who starts oh, yeah. out kind of like going through the motions of like insulting the female lead. And, you know, sort of early on and over the course of the show really decides that that's dumb and it kind of turns from like the there's a you know acute interaction with like between them over the course of several episodes where she goes from person on the other side to a friend as well sounds fun and sweet sounds like you guys recommend it it's Aww. definitely both of those things, and yeah. yes. Nice. Very much so. Definitely a good pick-me-up we could all use in these occasionally trying times. What else have you got, uh, Dan? Well, eh, that's about all I got for that show. Uh, you know, again, it's it's uncomplicated. It's, you know, there's more to it than than we're making it out there. You know, there are some big feelings here and there, but, you know, they're also they're, we're also dealing with children, so it doesn't get too uh fraught i would say you know it's still very sweet in how they how they handle some of those uh times when people question what their actual relationship between people are like especially young uh early friends i was um, trying to prompt you into another show but yes <laughs> i will i will say that yeah that uh really good show there but uh moving on to the next show and about as far away from like sweet childhood friendships as we can get uh demon slayer season three the Swordsmith Village arc, I think, is what it's called. So I have sort of been falling more and more out of love with uh, Demon Slayer. I really enjoyed the first season, um, but I felt like as it uh, as it has progressed, I have I find myself less and less uh, enjoying some of the overall way the show is going. Like, there's still interesting stuff. The fight scenes are still spectacular. The production is great. Like. You know, from just a visual standpoint, if you're in it for that, you are going to still be very well served. There's some great, uh, there's some great battles, some great uh, set piece uh, fights and such, and we get to see a bunch of other characters, um, also uh, these Hashira demon slayers, uh, getting to sort of flex their skills and talents. Uh, there's one guy in particular who's another like Hashira in training in a similar on a similar level with. Uh, our main character Tanjiro and he like he shows up and you don't really see him carrying a sword very much his preferred weapon is a shotgun and you know what <laughs> I like him for that don't you ever just wish you had One a the shotgun thing... there's the quote yes <laughs> exactly and he does that like he's got a sword because you know at the end of the day you need you usually need to decapitate these demons in order to kill them but he's also perfectly fine just blowing their heads off if he can uh, as you might expect, being that we're, you know, three seasons into this and they're fighting some really powerful demons. It doesn't always take, but, you know, good on him for trying. And he has a very unique way of uh, fighting demons compared to all of the others, which is very fascinating. And I don't feel like it's leveraged enough, um, which sort of uh, brings me to some of the, you know, some of the downsides of the show. Because, again, there's there's some good stuff like there's. You know, we're we're sort of setting up a little bit more of the background of the Demon Slayer world. How uh, they talk a lot about like all of these swords are forged very specifically for 
uh, they're individual users, and the swordsmiths are sort of a, a class unto themselves within the society, but because of how critical these swords are, they're kept sort of hidden off in this village uh, that even the uh, even the Hashra, even the demon slayers themselves, are not allowed to know where it is in order to prevent any breach of security. Well, that lasts all of about two episodes before security is breached and a bunch of high-level demons show up, ah. so... It's unsurprising that uh, that that does not last, but it is interesting that the very first time we see this place after talk about how secure it is, it's immediately breached. <laughs> Why do we even have that lever? <laughs> exactly. It's like it would have made more. It would have made a lot more sense to be well protected rather than just completely hidden and utterly defenseless. But uh, luckily, there are a few uh, folks showing who have showed up there. Uh, we learn a little bit more about the dynamics between these high-level demons and how their, you know, what their kind of long-term plan is, which is nice because we finally um, are getting a bit more clarity in terms of that. Uh, and then, like I said, we go into, you know, basically a, an extended series of long fights in which we sort of learn that our main character is actually kind of a crap swordsman. <laughs> he spends all of his time focusing so much on the, like, powerful abilities and special moves that he's got that he is not really all that good at the fundamentals. Like, they have a training dummy that they use, this, like, mechanical doll sort of thing, which is admittedly very, very strong, but for someone who's been taking on, like ranked demons for the past two seasons it seems like he would be better at it but he is just getting rolled by this thing and you know what i kind of appreciate it because this kid's had it i hate to say it to someone who's who lost his entire family like day one eight o'clock but i feel like this kid's had it too easy <laughs> oh my yeah so that is that, that part i enjoyed um but yeah like even seeing him go into the later fights against the demons after you know sort of doing some of this training he also just like there's a lot of he makes a lot of dumb decisions which don't really like match this sort of like very analytical mind that he's supposed to have like it's like oh there's an enemy that can fly let me fight him in an open like in an open clearing rather than moving into the woods that are immediately to to my uh to my left right front and back like even if you assume that this thing is capable of like navigating the trees at least make it a little harder for him it just there a lot of obvious like solutions or tactical like positioning is suggested by the show and then never used but, uh, you know, it gives him more time to show off his flashy maneuvers later on. I would say, though, that the one thing that most kind of I am most conflicted about is the ending of this. Uh, it ends on what should be a very, very deep emotional beat. And then, at least in my opinion, undercuts it almost immediately uh, and further aggravates a relationship that I thought should have been the core of the show but they have steadfastly refused to really deal with up until this point and then sort of resolves part of that potential conflict essentially by magic. Oh, geez. So it's like, I understand why they did it this way. I, I don't, it don't, it doesn't come out of nowhere completely. It's not like, it's not inconsistent with the rest of the show, but from my personal, very, very subjective point of view, it's probably the most unsatisfying way, most uninteresting way that they could have handled it. So oh. we'll see oh. what happens because it it is going to affect things moving forward. I don't want to spoil anything because this is a really big plot point for uh, going into 
the next season, which may be the final season. If not that, I think it's like one more after that. I know we're getting closer to the conclusion, but how far we are is still remains to be seen based on the pace at which they're putting this thing out. And then whether we get another movie or something in between that. But yeah, like I will, I will still recommend it. If you're a fan of this show, you're probably, you know, you're probably sticking with it. And I don't want to take that away from you because there is a lot to enjoy. I just still find that my frustrations with it are just kind of growing every season. Similar to issues I had with My Hero Academia, just in a in a different way. Similar to other shonen shows. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> Shonen's gonna shonen, and eventually they all hit that same singularity. Uh, and it's just like, how long does it take for them to get there and how much of the, how much of their shonenness can you absorb before it just becomes too much? And in this case, it's less about the shonenness of it and more just the direction they decide to take, um, certain characters. So, but Dan, you feel like you'd want to see this story to its conclusion. Cause one interesting thing with Demon Slayer is the manga is finished from my understanding. Right. So at least you're gearing towards a finale. Exactly. And that's kind of why I'm more game to sit through it, even though I'm, you know, even though I still have my, my issues with it is that a, again, really great production, really great visuals. The fights are still a thrill to watch. Do not, you know, do not uh, mistake that they are really fun. Um, but I would say that, yes, because I know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I really just kind of want to see how they land this whole thing. I want to I do want to see what the final conclusion of this is and how the characters react to some information that we as the audience probably have already pieced together. But because they're all all these things are happening very far apart from each other with characters that haven't interacted much, how they're going to react to like different dynamics being changed and different relationships getting upended. So that I do want to see how they handle uh, in the long term. And like I said, there's there's the, there's a finish line that I can see from here that means that I've got a much I've got much more confidence uh, that it is going to be able to come to some kind of a reasonably satisfying conclusion. Well, that's something at least. Good stuff. So. Who uh who wants to round us out then? What else uh, we got? I got one more. Oh. <laughs> is, is it, it is it Brendan? A slow burn uh, romance. It's actually more of a conventional romance. Okay. Ah. <laughs> we still got one of the keywords in there. True. Uh let's see. I'm trying to like do the, the quick and dirty setup of this show. So young woman flies in from or boats in from some small island. Uh, to an urban area in Japan, which is probably Tokyo, but I don't know for sure, and gets a job as, like, her dream job is to become a manga artist because her grandmother had a lot of, like, old shoujo manga, like, in her library at home, and she was like, this is awesome. So she gets a, a job as an assistant for this uh, this young man who's drawing sort of a throwback manga of his own to that uh, to that style and era. And after an all-nighter uh, of trying to make a deadline, they're both sort of like asleep on the floor of his studio, and he wakes up, and he's like, oh man, is she like sleeping on a like a pen of some sort? And reaches over and pricks himself on her stinger. 
which is not normally visible. Now, it turns out she is the latest in a line of descendants of star people uh, that, like, came to the Earth and crash-landed on this island some period of time ago. I'm actually not sure how long. And by pricking his finger on, like, her stinger, it's a weird sort of, like, marriage pact. Wow, it's like... Just that's, uh, reminds me of some pretty old anime there, but classic. Yeah, I was like, I'm getting a little concerned yeah. right now. Brendan, also, you didn't mention the name of the show. Oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The, a Galaxy Next Door. All right. I'm kind of seeing where that comes from already. Uh, yeah, she, like, the guy also has is the manager of a small apartment building, which she moves into. Yeah. Uh, thus becoming Next Door. Uh... And actually part of the reason that she moves in is because if they get far enough apart, he starts to suffer physical consequences. Oh, wow. Oh, no. So, not like dramatically, but uh, like it, it's a ma- major plot point for the show is the way that the Bond sort of enforces him to be like present and loyal. And they spend like the, the majority of the show like trying to get to somebody to figure out how to undo that. Or and then try like also just trying to deal with it while that is uh, waiting to happen. So it's kind of like it, it's reminiscent of Fruits Basket in that way, hmm. right? Because they have the bond, which is uh, which has like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Effects, I suppose. Yeah, like non-specific but still present effects of some kind. Right. These were. These, I think, were more physical than the, like, I feel like Fruits Baskets was a little bit more psychological as far as, uh, like, it, wanting to be in the presence of and, like, obeying the, uh, the, uh, the, the center, the central character of that circle. Right. Uh, but this one is still, or this one comes off, or there's a little bit less, like, super drama than there was in Fruits Basket, because there was quite a lot of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Especially with just the two people, and like a big part of the middle of the show is him saying, "You know, I'm not gonna let you know this uh, this bond like affect the way I act. I but I also do like feel like I want to date you anyway, uh, which is like an an interesting maneuver there. And so he and his much much younger siblings." Uh, like hang out with uh, this young woman and go on romantic adventures. Huh. So it gets like effectively after the after that opener, it becomes more standard, I guess. Uh, more or less. Does the alien st- aspect of it kind of like come up more? I mean, she still is uh, like as the princess or whatever. She is still s- nominally under some authority from the people from the island. I don't know. She feels like she's the top dog at this point for some reason. Uh, so, or or more, actually, wait. I think she's, she's really only, like, allowed to leave because it was her grandmother's last wish that she be allowed to do what she want. So the mother is, like, respecting that, even though she would like to have more control. <laughs> uh, she does show huh. up later in the show. Oh, well, good for her on at least, you know, starting respecting her wishes begrudgingly 
I mean, right. I'll take begrudgingly respecting wishes that over, over like, you know, parental dictatorship. Over whatever was happening in kind of Fruits Basket. Bruh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That whole family, that whole family is just, just getting the bin. Yep. Garbage. <laughs> Top Everybody to except for the tiger girl. <gasps> yeah. Kisa. My oh, baby. Like Kisa. I don't know, Brendan, like, I guess the show is secretly more wholesome than I'm imagining. Like, your description made it sound really skeevy. Like, he's chained to her in a way because of physical effects that he can't get out of and didn't choose. And then they just go on romantic she's not a bad person, adventures though. with her. Yeah, it's, it's not like she yeah, did like it, it on purpose. It was an accident. And, right. And, the, like, that's, you know, the the first couple of episodes are them dealing with that and then eventually deciding hey you're like you're a nice girl and you know she thinks he's a nice guy and you know maybe we should go out even you know anyway like maybe that's what the thing wants us to do but and then that comes up that come that loops back around at the very end of the show okay uh is where they is where they try to deal with that in a more direct fashion but like it's in most of the interim it's uh it's very cute all right sounds adorable Man, guys, it's like Brendan's romantic smorgasbord. Like, please come choose a cake. Yeah, that's true. And a lot of good recommendations there. For real. Yeah, like perhaps this one is like not uh, like the lowest on my list of recommendations, but it's still not a bad show. All right. More of a passive recommendation. Yeah, like if you're into that sort of thing, like do consider. If that's what you're into. All right. Well, that's cool. Well, I think if that's it, we can uh, we can call this one done. We'll wrap it up on some on some nice like light uh, romance. Everyone, no, Dan. It's good with time that? for the best <gasps> show of the season. Oh, it is. Now. It is. And that show, friends, is Birdie Wing season two. You guys might remember oh, oh, my the drama that was Birdie Wing season one, where I talked Dan's ear off, and it was incredible. This season, even more incredible. They pulled more off a successor than, that's better. More incredible than literal underground golf Oh my gosh, Dan, like... Run by the mafia. And that comes back. Let me just tell you, like, they go... I was a little worried because the girls ended up in this prestigious school. And I thought it was going to be, like, school rivalry, you know, sports show now. No. Eve's, like, mafia past comes back to haunt her, in quotation marks. Basically, she, like, joins forces with her mafia past... There's there's some sort of drama with that. It's incredible. Like all problems can be solved by having connections to the mafia and engaging in underground golf games where you risk your life. There's even more ridiculous characters than ever before. The stakes are so <laughs> absurd. The one girl like can hit a golf ball the way you fire a cannon. Like there's this incredible animation of her like running headlong to the tee and then just smacking this thing and it just shows this animation of a cannon behind her i was i was there for it every time that doesn't feel like it should be legal no but it's incredible dan there's there's more rainbow colored bullets there's more rainbow colored everything if you were there for the yuri like good you're you're there for it and it's it's there, it's for, there you. for you yeah there we go <laughs> 
Uh, there's also <laughs> dramatic golf cancer. What? Like people play <laughs> golf. Dan, people play golf so hard that it gives them dramatic golf cancer and they can no longer play golf. It's so oh. intense. Like you got to figure out who people's parents are. There's like this whole drama with lineage. And then guys at the end, they fight moon empress Beyonce. Like the whole time in the <laughs> opener, guys, there's this like a amazing looking black woman that like comes up in the rapid fire montage and i was like who is that woman i've decided she's beyonce and she does not disappoint like she's great but she is the moon empress and they have to like fight her at the end just the show is so unapologetically itself it doesn't need to make sense it doesn't care what you think it's on this roller coaster ride (laughs) To have fun, have rainbow bullets, have people's bodies falling apart from powerful golf and golf cancer, ties to the mafia. It's dramatic, it's stupid, it's awesome. Like, you need to get on board with Birdie Wing if you are not on board already. Also, I'm just going to end with the most incredible sequence from Birdie Wing. So they're fighting... This one girl who is like, I think they call her like the prize queen. So she's won like multiple tournaments and they're like, oh no, how do we defeat the prize queen? So at one point it's looking a little dire. And uh, one of the lead characters, Owie, her, uh, I wouldn't call her a cat, her strategist is like, don't worry. It's, I have a plan. And so they get to the golf course and then in the middle of the set of the 18 holes it starts to rain okay and that Uh other girl is like kind of thrown off by she's like oh no like my swings aren't going as far like the ball isn't rolling you know where i want it to because i don't have golf powers the way (laughs) owie does right ridiculous (laughs) golf powers and so then it it rains just long enough to give owie the advantage And her ball, like, moves along the slick grass or something and is able to, like, take the lead. And the other girl, like, the prize queen, looks at the strategist and is like, what? How could this happen? And the strategist is like, that's right. It's a good thing I trained as a weather woman. And I was able to know that it was going to rain, but only for, like, two hours. (laughs) It's just like, what even is this Oh, that's a secret power reveal. Oh my goodness. What even is this show? So picking some just, real niche skills for your background. Exactly. Yeah, she's like, surprise. It turns out that I trained as a weather woman and my skills in this area will come into play for this one scene. Like I guys, I was like laugh out loud, <laughs> breathless during this. It's just just so good. This is the show of the season. Like, get on this. Get on this train. Birdie wing all the way. Uh, you know, 100%. So recommended. Plus that amazing opener. Like, how can you go wrong with Venus line? Yes. Oh, it sounds very good. So good. Guys, I think this is like the longest cast we've ever done. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> That's true. We got a lot of shows. But you know what? It was important to pitch them all. Mm-hmm. May end up breaking it up. We'll see what uh, We'll see what we do on the back end here. But uh, it was still a lot of fun hearing about these, like the avalanche, just the the staggering <laughs> number of rom-coms, slow burn or otherwise. Good yeah, work, dang, anime. Brendan. They just, they just decided to put them all out at once. I don't know what to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think now that uh, 
now now that um fruits basket is over everyone like all of like the romantic uh shows are like creeping out of the woodwork like is it safe yet is no one else gonna eat our lunch <laughs> good point now it's more of a battle royale yeah true uh, facts fun season so hmm. yeah indeed all right well i hope you stuck around this long and enjoyed listening to us talk about all our amazing shows we actually won out like most of our stuff was solid that's so. true yeah. job nothing, guys nothing was a disaster great work um yeah and uh just to know we are skipping the summer season in terms of having a written rolling review and as we'll you see. may have already noticed yeah, yeah. As you probably already caught on, but uh, just to say it formally. All right. Well, thanks for sticking with us through this whole thing. Hopefully you found some stuff to watch. Hopefully you too can enjoy a slow burn romance cake off of Brendan's amazing smorgasbord. While you contemplate rainbow bullets and watching Birdie Wing. Yes. All right. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye, folks. Bye bye. This is a podcast by the con artists. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or your Android podcast app of choice. For more anime and game related content, please visit us online at theconartistsblog.com. Thanks for listening.